everybody, and welcome to Beyond the Classroom. I'm your host, Jenna Dykman. I'm a registered dietitian and one of the nutrition faculty members at BYU-Idaho. Beyond the Classroom is a 13-episode podcast that will take you beyond the concepts you are learning in the classroom and give you the opportunity to dig deeper into the world of nutrition. In this week's episode of Beyond the Classroom, we are joined by Susan Clark. Susan Clark is a registered dietitian and also a certified diabetes educator. We will be learning from her about her experience of being an outpatient dietitian and what it's like to work with clients who have diabetes. We also will be talking a little bit about common deficiencies that she sees in her clients and we'll hear about one unique deficiency disease that a client of hers had. Are you guys ready? All right, let's get to it. I'm Brianna. I'm Haley. And I'm Kenzie. And this is Time Out with the TAs. Welcome back to Time Out with the TAs. Um, I'm going to start us off with a little thought. I was given a talk by Elder Holland back in 1983 to read for one of my business classes I'm taking this semester, and it's called however long and hard the road and it was a devotional given at BYU back in 1983 as I said before and um, the talk was basically about perseverance and determination and just making sure that whatever you're doing or whatever you're working towards you just keep hanging on and and working hard and there was a part in it that stuck out to me and I've kind of thought about it a lot since reading the talk and it has a little connection to our food the food chat of this class and the quote was um, the baking of life's best cakes takes time don't despair of tearing and trying and don't burn your lips with impatience um i just i really loved that quote because a it's talking about food so that's awesome but b it's a really good reminder that things don't just come to you immediately hardly ever. That's not the case. Um, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some work and some effort. And and sometimes, for example, in the cake making world, it takes you a couple tries before you have the perfect cake. Um, and even when you've pulled it out of the oven and it looks perfect, sometimes you shouldn't just dive right into it right away because it's too hot or, or too moist and it'll crumble down. You have to give it its full time and you need to be patient. And that is applicable to kind of every aspect of, of our lives, whether it be goals that you're trying to reach or your classes or maybe relationships, whatever it is, you just need to remember that stuff takes time and you need to be patient and you need to be constantly working at improving it as well. So that's the end of my thought. Okay, so today for Time Out with the TAs, we're going to share some of our favorite dietitians that we follow on social media sources and share a little bit about why we like them. So who wants to go first? 
I can go first. So the two Instagram pages that I follow, there's um, there's this one that's veggies and chocolate, and it's Sammy Haber Brondo. I don't know even if I'm saying that right, but I loved her. I love her Instagram page because she has so many yummy recipes that I I haven't made any of them, but I just want to try them. They look so yummy, and I but. She just has all these recipes of like healthy foods, but it's also um, treats as well. And um, in one of her posts, she like talks about how all foods fit and uh, um, points out some myths that lots of people have believed in that she says are bogus and which are so funny. There's this one post of, of like the myth that you shouldn't eat after seven. And then she said right next to it, no, you eat when you're hungry. And it, I just felt that um, a lot of her posts are related to things that we've learned in Nutrition 150. So I really like that. And um, another one was Rachel Paul, which and her um, Instagram thing is College Nutritionist. And uh, my favorite thing about her page is that she has these full nick fullness hack posts so she'll show a meal or a snack that was healthy but would only keep you full for a small amount of time such as like a salad with some veggies just like a small salad with veggies and um and then she would have right next to it a meal or snack with something added that would help you just be fuller longer so like adding chicken to your salad or something I like those posts because she emphasizes that like like you shouldn't starve yourself to like eat healthy. You need to add stuff and like make your meals yummy and enjoy your meals, not just eating veggies for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because that's how you're going to lose weight. And that's another thing that I love is she she says that her journey is to help you lose weight for good instead of just losing weight fast. Those are my two Instagram pages. I also... Um was going to talk about college nutritionist. I, I followed her for a while and I like her posts because she almost always has a recipe when she po- takes a picture of her food. And so like you can basically make what she made, but she also will go to the store sometimes like Trader Joe's or just whatever store she shops at. And she'll show you like, these are the things that I buy. And here's, here are some like ready to eat foods that I like or here's some tips to make this thing quicker and kind of things like that. And so I like her for that reason. And um, you can sign up on her email and get like a free week's worth of recipes. Um, and she has a pretty cool formula that she uses for all of her meals typically that includes a lot of veggies and um, just really good whole foods so that you get a variety of those food groups. So I really like her. Um, and then I'll share my other one. The other dietitian that I really like is Barry the Dietitian. She is from London and she's a registered dietitian. And I like how she focuses on all types of food. That's a big one for me. She, like Brando was saying about the other nutrition or dietitian she was talking about, is that she frequently, she posts pictures of her healthy food and recipe ideas, but she also shows all the times when she goes out and gets a treat and she takes pictures of her dog and just shows her overall lifestyle as well and that's something i really enjoy about her is that she really 
I look at her post and it motivates me to try these healthy, delicious foods, but also reminds me that all foods do fit and that you can eat those treats. And she's a dietitian and she says you should eat those treats. So I, that, that's who I really like. So I've never heard of either of your guys's dietitians on Instagram, but I looked them up and they have beautiful feeds. So that's cool. Um, but the two accounts that I really like, one is called the real food RDs and there are two dietitians, Jess and Stacy, and they just have the most beautiful Instagram feed ever. Um, the thing that I think I like the most about them is that they make eating healthy look beautiful and it kind of just intrigues you and pulls you in and, and encourages you and inspires you to want to be eating well. Um, but also they make a point of teaching you that eating well doesn't have to cost an arm and a leg, that you can have fresh whole food and eat a good amount of food and not pay $300 a week for your groceries. And so I really appreciate that about them, that they they don't expect you to have the expensive organic um, whatever type of groceries in order to eat the way that they're showing you. Um, so I really like them. And then the other person I really like, her name is Stephanie Carter. And I am drawn more to her page because she's not only a dietitian, she's also um, a fitness pro, um, like professional. And um, so hers is more so about overall wellness. And she knows how to feed more of the sports nutrition kind of lifestyle. And that's the direction I like to learn a little bit more about um, dietetics and nutrition and, and that kind of thing. And so her page is just really inspiring for me. I just feel like I learn a lot and she's all about wellness kind of body and mind and, and it just covers everything that I really like. So I, I like her page and the real food RDs. We hope you enjoyed the Instagram pages that we talked about, but just know that there, there are a ton of Instagram pages that will share their opinions about nutrition and share their own recipes, and which can be good, but also just remember to look for the experts when you're looking at um, Instagram accounts and blogs, because usually when they're uh, registered dietitians that are doing these blogs, the advice is more based on research, but even then still evaluate the Instagram page. And the accounts that we've talked about, they will be posted on Canvas so you guys can go and look at them yourself. Welcome to the show, Susan. Thanks for joining me today. I'm excited to interview you and hear about your experience as a dietitian. Thanks, Jenna. I'm glad to be here. Your students listening, they will recognize your name and your voice and know that you're an adjunct at BYU-Idaho, but you also work as a dietitian at Madison Memorial Hospital. So I just wanted to hear a little bit about why you wanted to become a dietitian and the work experience that you've had as a dietitian. Well, when I was in high school, well, starting off my family history. So my mom's side of the family are all obese. 
My mom has several sisters and her parents and they're all obese. My dad's side of the family are all pretty normal weights. So I kind of grew up with wondering which side am I going to follow? You know, where am I going to be at? And I kind of became a little bit too extreme in some of my diet choices and exercise choices as a high school student because I was concerned that I would be more like my mom's side. I didn't have an eating disorder, but um, I was counting calories a little bit too often and just becoming a little obsessive and kind of driving my family crazy. And so when it became time to choose something to study in college, my mom suggested nutrition. And it's something I had honestly never thought of. So when I went to college, I decided that's what I would study and I haven't ever changed. So, and I haven't ever looked back. It's been great. You're one of the minority for never changing your major. That's awesome. Well, it still took me an extra year because I, I went to Snow College first and got my associate's degree and took some of the wrong chemistry classes. And then I, when I went to Utah State, I had to take different classes before I could get into the dietetics program. So it wasn't like a straight four-year shot. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So what, where are some of the places that you've worked as a dietitian? My first job was in Louisiana. My husband and I had moved there for him to go to graduate school. So I got a job working at a children's clinic um, for kids that were on Medicaid. And that was a really interesting experience because I hadn't even had my own children yet. So I was guiding parents on how to feed their kids and um, help them to be healthier and learning my own ways of feeding my kids before they were even born. <laughs> and I worked there for about four years. And then when my husband graduated, he got a job at BYU-Idaho. So we moved here to Rexburg. And I started working at Madison Memorial Hospital, and I've been there for 18 years. So it's not a really long list of jobs, but um, plenty of years doing them, I guess. So what's your role at Madison Memorial Hospital? My official title is the outpatient dietitian, and I am the diabetes program coordinator. So I'm in charge of the, dietetic, the diabetes education program. What do you enjoy most about being an outpatient dietitian? The best thing about being an outpatient dietitian is the people are not sick in a hospital bed. And if they come in, they're coming in willingly. They're not usually being forced to come in, which means they want to learn and they want to change. Um, every once in a while, I'll get a patient who's drug in by their spouse or their adult children or their doctor begs them to come. But most of the time, they're ready and willing to learn. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember working in the inpatient side of dietetics. And yeah, sometimes you're in that room for less than 10 minutes and you're trying to give them all this information about their eating patterns or uh, disease they are diagnosed with and they're just really wanting to go home. So I bet that outpatient would be super rewarding in that way. Right. And really the only time I've worked inpatient is as a student. I've never had a job where I've done that, but 
I don't really want to move into that. Some people love that field, but I really like working outpatient. So with your role as, so you said, director of the diabetes program? Yes. And then, so you're a dietitian, and then you're also the certified, you have the credential for certified diabetes educator, or now it's called something else? Yes, this year it's been changed, or maybe it was last fall, but very recently um, the credential of certified diabetes educator is now certified, now I just lost <laughs> what's it called? Certified diabetes care and education specialist. <laughs> I'm still getting used to it. So it's a CDCES or the initials that I get to put behind my name instead of CDE. Yeah, that is a lot longer to say. Um, <laughs> Have you always wanted to be, a, now I can't, a diabetes educator? Or did it kind of progress as you were working in the outpatient setting? I did not go out to be a work in diabetes education. I just kind of fell into my lap because I got the job at Madison Memorial, and that was one of my roles. And the nurse that I worked with at the time was a, a CDE. And she encouraged me to get my CDE as well so that we could work together with our patients. And, and half the patients that I see as an outpatient diabetes or outpatient dietitian do have diabetes. What are some of the key or maybe one or two questions that you tend to get a lot from your clients? Well, a lot of the diets right now that people recommend are, or the fad diets are really high protein, low carb. So a lot of them come in thinking they can't eat any carbs at all. And so that's a big one. And then some of the others would be they can't exercise. I mean, they have too many health concerns. So what can they do for exercise? Or That would be difficult to work with patients when they have that idea in their mind, whether they read a fad diet on the internet or an article or something and trying to kind of overcome their preconceived notions. Yeah, there's a lot of health information out there, whether it's the internet's probably the biggest one, but even my older patients read magazines or books or, or hear advice from their neighbor or their family member, and they have some wrong ideas of what they have to do. Interesting. Maybe for students who are listening, they haven't heard of the diabetes educator before. What do you have to do to become that diabetes educator and get that credential or certification? You first have to have um, the right profession. So there's several professions that you can actually have to become one. A dietitian is one and the nurse is probably the second highest. But you can also be a pharmacist, a social worker, um, a doctor, a diatrist. Well, they are doctors, I guess. Some nurse practitioners, some Physician's assistants, if they have the right licensure, can do it. So that's number one. You have to be in the right profession. And then the second one is you have to have worked in your profession for a few years. You can't just like become a dietitian and then apply to become a CDE right away. You have to have experience. Um, the hours that you have to have depend on your profession. So you have to have at least two years of experience working under... Um, your profession. It doesn't have to be in diabetes, but you have to have worked in that profession. And then you have to have a thousand hours of diabetes education within the past four years. And they used to say it had to be paid, but now they'll accept volunteer hours too. So if someone 
just wanted the experience they could volunteer. That's awesome. I didn't know that social workers could become diabetes educators. Or I don't think it's very common. Oh, okay. Like I said, if I go to a diabetes conference and look around at the other professions, it's almost probably 80% nurses and dietitians mm-hmm. with a few pharmacists and then a few of the other professions. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like with social work, maybe if they were in a really rural area and they didn't have a dietitian, or I feel like maybe then that would be beneficial. Or but. Well, and depending on the population you work with. So I could see if um, if they were working in a population that had tons of, ob- of diabetes, um, it might be beneficial. Again, if, especially if it's in a rural area where there aren't a lot of other resources. Yeah, true. Teaching classes or things mm-hmm. like that. Speaking of teaching classes, you meet with your clients one-on-one, but do you also provide an opportunity for them to take classes about diabetes? We have, because we're a rural area with a small population that we serve, almost all of our meetings with clients are one-on-one. So I have a nurse that works with me and she isn't a, a diabetes educator yet. She's working to become one, but I teach all of the diet part and then she teaches the, she teaches about exercise and she does all of the diabetes technology and the medications like insulin or insulin pumps or any of that. So most of our patients are taught one-on-one but we do have a prevent type two diabetes class that we teach every year. And that goes from January to December. It's a year long class, but that's the only class we currently teach. If we had a higher population, like in big cities, a lot of their diabetes education is done in groups and classes. So with that uh, prevent type two diabetes classes, what are some of the key topics you focus on? There's two main goals of the class, and it's actually a class done by the CDC, Center for Disease Control. So it's not one that we put together, but they, it's 150 minutes of exercise every week and losing five to 7% of your weight. So those are the two main goals of the whole class. So all of the topics are like last night, it was on eating out. So I taught the class on eating out. Sometimes it's a lot on stress management or sleep or lots of exercise ones, lots of food ones. So they go every week for the first two months, and then it's every other week for six months, and the last four months is once a month. Have you received a lot of feedback from the people taking the class? What's kind of some of the feedback you've gotten? It depends on the person. Mm -hmm. Some of them don't continue and complete the class. They just drop out. And then the other extreme are those who lose weight and do really well and recommend the class to everybody and love it. Most other people are in between where they're learning good skills. But the important thing that they have to learn is that just coming to the class doesn't prevent diabetes. They have to put those lifestyle things into practice. And so it depends on where their motivation is coming from. If they're ready to make the changes they're going to be more successful and like the class. If they're not ready to make the changes, they probably won't be as successful. So kind of going back to stages of change for the students. Yep. It's that's true with all of the people I meet with individually too, not just with diabetes, but with any diet change they have to make, they have to be ready to change. And even 
you know, if they're coming in, they are motivated to make some changes, but they're still all at different levels, different stages of change. Some of them aren't ready to jump right in and do everything all at once. Sometimes it takes a while to get them to each stage. Right. So with that, uh, with your work with diabetes, this week and last week, students have been learning about vitamins and minerals. And as a dietitian, you are educating your clients on how to have a healthy eating pattern to manage their diabetes or prevent diabetes. When you're working with your patients, are there deficiencies related to either vitamins or minerals that you've seen a lot in your patients? Yeah, the most common ones that I see are vitamin D, vitamin B12, iron, trying to think if there's any more, but those are the most common lab tests that get done. So they might have other deficiencies that don't get tested in labs because their doctor is the one that has to order those. As a dietitian, I can't order labs. I can recommend that the doctor orders them, Um, but those are the ones that they will typically run. But it's very common to see someone that has diabetes have a low vitamin D. What kind of recommendations do you give to them? Supplements mostly because we live in Idaho and you know in the summer they can get some vitamin D from sunlight but there's just not enough food sources really to to give them everything they need if they're really deficient so they've got to take a really good supplement. So you mentioned while you're working with your diabetes patients that there's a lot of deficiencies that you see common deficiencies that you see but I heard that you had experience with a client who had a unique deficiency disorder that we don't tend to see a lot anymore. And I'm trying to think which one it was. Was it beriberi or was it Wernicke-Korsakoff syndrome? Um, Wernicke-Korsakoff syndrome. Okay. Yeah. So can you tell us about that experience? Yeah. So when I get a referral from a doctor, it always has their diagnosis on it. And then I contact the patient and schedule an appointment. But this guy's referral was really vague. It just said something about this person needs a healthy diet after a history of heavy drinking. So I wasn't really sure what to expect. He readily accepted the appointment. And when he came, he came with a big stack of supplements, a catalog full of supplements. And he sat down and he said, I want you to tell me which supplement to take. <laughs> I, you know, I had no idea why he wanted to take a supplement or what, what it was for. So we talked a little bit and he said, my doctor said I need more thiamine. And I said, why, you know, tell me your story. And he had been a really heavy drinker for a long time. He was on disability, so he didn't work. So he would sleep in and then he would eat um, lunch like at 11 o'clock but it was um, usually not a lot of food. And then at dinner, it was always fast food. So he would go get a fast food meal. And then he would drink beer from then until about one or two in the morning and then go to sleep and repeat the process. He didn't consider himself an alcoholic, but his very wise doctor um, noticed the symptoms that were starting to show up and he talked to him about it. So what he wanted me to do, the patient, not the doctor, was just to tell him what supplement to take so he could continue his lifestyle that he was doing. And, you know, if you're drinking a ton of alcohol, that's really going to affect the absorption of a lot of vitamins and minerals, particularly thiamine. So I told him my recommendation was that he needed to decrease his alcohol. And when he left, he said, 
you really haven't helped me very much. <laughs> but I was okay with that because I knew that yeah. he wasn't at that stage of change. He wasn't mm -hmm. ready to change his lifestyle. Um, he just wanted the bad symptoms to go away and to be able to continue doing what he was doing. Right, yeah. You know they're not ready for change if they don't recognize that they're an alcoholic, yet right. they drink however many hours. Right. It was definitely hour. more than the two beers per day that's recommended for a man. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's funny that he just wanted a supplement and hoped that would fix all of his issues. Wow. But, you know, he's not alone because there are a lot of people who would rather, especially in diabetes, they would rather just take the medication and continue eating, doing whatever they want and not changing their lifestyle. But it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure you talk about this in your class, too, of when we when we go over supplements, how, you know, you can't just take supplements and then eat whatever you want and think, call that a healthy lifestyle. Right. Have you have you noticed that with your diabetes patients where kind of like what you were just saying, where they really just want to eat whatever they want and think they can prevent those chronic diseases from occurring if they're taking vitamins and minerals? Some of them, most of them know they need to change and they know that diet plays a big role in that. But there are some that would really prefer to not have to change because change is hard. It's hard when you're used to having your bowl of ice cream every night to all of a sudden be told you can't have ice cream, which by the way, I don't teach them that because someone with diabetes can have ice cream in the right amounts, the right proportions, but they do have to cut back. They do have to change. And those changes are hard. Yeah. Do you more, well, I guess, do you more work with people who have diabetes or people who are have pre-diabetes and you're trying to work with them on prevention? Both. So the, the people that have pre-diabetes are generally referred to me for weight loss, but they're also have been tested and they know they have pre-diabetes. So we work together to every person's different. So you have to start with where they are. You know, some people, like I worked with a guy this week who has heart disease that's very genetic because his lifestyle is so good. He ate so well. He exercised, walking like four to nine miles every day. And just, you know, there weren't a lot of changes he could make, but he was very open to anything that I would say. And he would, he would do anything I told him to. And then you have other people who, who think that you're going to tell them to eat cardboard, basically. And they're really nervous about being there. <laughs> Do you have an experience that you could share, maybe a, a final experience of a patient that you were working with for maybe a longer period of time and you're able to see that change of maybe not really wanting to make any changes to realizing that it was important and it would really benefit their overall health? Yeah, I had a guy who was a truck driver and those are some hard people to work with because for their job, they sit all day. And very typically, I, I'm not going to put all of them in the same category, but a lot of my patients are also eating and drinking things uh, to stay awake, you know, and to entertain themselves while they're driving. So he wanted to lose weight and he had prediabetes. I don't think he had an actual diagnosis of diabetes, but he, you know, he was, he had a hard time making some of those changes. He had a hard time finding ways to exercise, but then he figured 
when I pull into a truck stop and they're going to unload my truck, I can start walking around my truck a few times. And just little things like that, that he was able to find ways to be active. He, he didn't stop eating necessarily when he was driving, but he would start getting better choices when he was driving. So he would bring carrot sticks and um, nuts, which they can add up in calories too, but they were certainly better than his soda and licorice that he wanted to eat before. So he was able to lose weight and he, as far as I know, he doesn't have a diagnosis of diabetes. He's been able to prevent that, but I haven't seen him in a while either. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that. That's such a neat experience. And I bet for you, just seeing that change in him, but also in other patients is a really rewarding thing. It's a very rewarding job, especially when they're nervous about that cardboard thing. I'm going to have to eat terrible the rest of my life. And they leave your office saying, this isn't going to be so bad. I can do this. Well, thank you so much for letting me interview you. It was really neat to hear your insight on working with diabetic patients and with prevention and management and some of the experiences that you've had with that. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm happy to share. So at the end of every podcast, and you know this, um, I like to do a lightning round with a, a list of questions of things that'll help our listeners get to know you a little bit more. So do you mind me asking you those questions? Let's do it. All right. Awesome. So what is your favorite food? Mexican food, probably. No specific one, but just lots of different Mexican food. Oh, okay. Number two, what is your favorite vegetable? Probably cauliflower. Um, I like it in stir fries. I love it steamed with a little bit of butter and salt. And raw with ranch dressing is good too. So I have to ask a follow-up question. Have you tried the, I feel like there's a cauliflower um, trend happening with cauliflower (laughs) rice or pizza crust. Have you tried any of those? I haven't tried the rice yet. I keep meaning to, but I have done the crust, the pizza crust at a convention. I tried it and it was really good. I, yeah, I haven't tried any. I'll have to try it out. Okay. Question number three, what is your favorite snack food? Ooh, anything with chocolate and nuts combined. <laughs> mm, the sweet and the salty. Yes. <laughs> Question number four, what inspires you? I think good people inspire me. Um, People who are serving and are really loving and kind. Oh, nice. And then I have a would you rather question. Would you rather only wear one color each day or have to wear seven colors each day? I love color, but I would have to say one color. (laughs) Seven colors is a little too much. Yep. Yeah. Do you have a specific color that you choose? Probably like a gray, just because it's really basic. If I couldn't, if I couldn't add other colors to it. Right. Yeah. Okay. If you could have any animal as a pet, what animal would you choose? Probably a goldfish because it's really easy to take care of. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. What is your least favorite season? In Idaho, winter, for sure. I hear you. I like four seasons. I just wish we had a shorter winter. Right. Yeah. Like November to February instead of November to June or something. Or October to June. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. Another would you rather question. Would you rather live without the internet 
or live without air conditioning and heating? The internet. I mean, I don't know how you could survive without heating care. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then as a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Probably a secretary or a teacher, which I'm really glad I'm not a secretary now, but <laughs> yeah. that's what I thought would be cool when I was little. Nice. Last question. So we're, we're a bit out of, well, we're still kind of in quarantine, but during quarantine, did you develop any new hobbies? I worked during quarantine. I worked at both of my jobs during quarantine, so I can't say I have. Maybe I've read a little bit more. Okay. Any good book that you'd recommend? My book club just finished Slave Stealers. Oh. That's a really, really interesting book. It was very inspiring. That's awesome. Well, that's it. Thank you so much, Susan. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of the Beyond the Classroom podcast. A big thanks to Susan Clark for joining us and sharing her experiences that she's had working as a dietitian. Also, thank you to the TAs for sharing some of the dietitian accounts that they follow on Instagram. And as always, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.